I'm Andre. And I'm Richard. And this is Rugby Deconstructed. How's it, fellow rugby fans? Rugby Deconstructed will be coming to you every two weeks. Over the next couple of weeks, we will be looking at rugby topics such as the global season, fantasy rugby, varsity cup, and many other rugby concepts that need to be deconstructed. We will also be reviewing certain rugby books and movies, such as Pride and Passion by Warren Gatland and Chasing Great. We will also be dropping sound bits and video snippets that look at hot topics as they occur. Follow us on Twitter at Andre Giel and at Rieder Rugby and catch our media on your favorite social media platform. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Rugby Deconstructed. As stated, the team has been off for the last two weeks and we've been looking at planning and prepping the schedule for the, for the remainder of the year. And we've definitely got some interesting topics ahead that we will be looking at. at in the stoop with me today, I've got Richard once again. Richard, welcome. How's it, Andre? Good to be back. Yes, definitely. And in the two weeks that we've been off air planning and prepping and living life, we've had uh, some major rugby developments and news and activities happening over the last two weeks. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, actually, stuff that we uh, spoke about in the last few podcasts. Uh, first one was in our North-South debate. We spoke about the, the French and their decline. And uh, it seems to me that the French are back. After a decade of um, of sleeping, these guys, are they're looking sharp. They're looking on, on form. And I can see them going ahead and uh, doing the Grand Slam against the Irish uh, in, in the next two weeks. Yes, definitely. I... They kind of remind me of the French side of the, the late 80s, late uh, early 90s with their flamboyant style and the way they play and the counter-attack and their, their style of rugby. And I find it actually quite refreshing watching this this young French team. They, they're very young as well. And I, I, don't, I think they've got lots of potential and what's actually quite frightening is they haven't even reached their potential. Well, I agree with you there. I mean, the emphasis must be placed on young. Uh, as most of these guys are have been pulled out of their under twenty squads that have, as we all know, for the last two years have been the, the world champions. So these guys already at a junior level know how to win, and the fact is now they're learning how to win at a senior level as well. And um, I must say, uh, the French at at home in twenty twenty three they're going to be a big big force to be reckoned with. Yes, definitely. Um, looking at to the looking at this evening's pod, we we're going to be discussing uh, the cheaters and the kings, and their value in the, the value that they can add to South African rugby. Yes, um, well, I mean, for me, if I think about the cheaters and the kings now, for me, they're like the, those friends you used to spend a lot of time with. You had over, you had them over for a braai every weekend. That one day just decided to emigrate, and now oh, only time you actually. Get in contact with them is if you spot the odd Facebook post of them in a different country doing their things. It feels like the Cheetahs and the Kings has been alienated from the rest of SA Rugby in in such a sense in that we don't actually know a lot what's going on with them. And uh, I mean the the topic for tonight came from a a Twitter poll that we put out where we actually asked what topic our listeners would like us to discuss and. Strange enough, there must. It, it seems that there's a lot of um, 
a lot of people that actually want to discuss these guys and actually see where they still fit into the landscape of SA Rugby. Yes, um, I think you, you, you're right there. It's not that we, we're not interested in the cheetahs. I just think we, we're still captivated with Super Rugby and Springbok Rugby that we've, we've tend, we've, the interest in Pro 14 just hasn't... If your team isn't playing in the Pro 14, you tend to follow your team. And I actually found myself, I fortunately got myself onto a WhatsApp, WhatsApp group and that group is dedicated to discussing and posting information about the Cheetahs. So every week, I know if the Cheetahs are playing or not, I know who the squad is and I, and I don't actually have to go and set up an alert on, on my computer for when the Cheetahs team gets announced or when all the Kings as well, when the Kings teams gets announced. Um, the, this group is very active and uh, unfortunately the, the host of the group uh, declined uh, to engage with us this evening to give us some inputs on, on the cheetahs. Now, that would actually be interesting to hear his input because um, I remember just about a year ago, uh, one night I happened to catch a Pro 14 team. And uh, you looked at the squad, uh, the Cheetahs team that, that was um, announced as a squad that evening. And I looked at it uh, and I thought, you know what? I actually felt embarrassed that I didn't know who those players were. Because when you, on, on a regular basis, when they were part of Super Rugby, you could ask, ask anybody who's the, the name, a, name a Cheetahs squad or a Cheetahs lineup, you would be able to know the basic, who, the, who their centre pairing was, what their loose forward combination looks like, their their second row, their their props. I at the moment, I must be honest, except for a few names, guys that I know that I've that's got a lot of potential, like Joseph Dweber or Rob Smukwani, um Bernard Jansen van Rensburg as another example, there's not a lot that you can actually that you know because we've almost feel like we've been alienated a bit. And you're in, only mentioning cheetahs players now. What about the Kings? Uh yeah. I know, like when when both those sides were still part of Super Rugby, I had an active interest in those sides because I pl played fantasy league, and you, you you would go and you would see, okay, these are the players, these guys have got good stats, these guys are living up to the reputation, they're not, and you actually had some sort of knowledge of who is there and who isn't. Yeah, I mean, you you speak about that when when the cheetahs, oh, sorry, when the kings were part of Super Rugby. You, there were a few names that became household names overnight. You can think about something, somebody like Chris Kluter, CJ Fellerman, Malcolm Yar. You knew exactly who these guys. I mean, Makazolima Pimpi when he came on into twenty seventeen. Sergio Peterson. Sergio Peterson when they in their debut season. I mean, the first game ever. Sergio Peterson comes out of school, and he scores two tries on debut in their first game. I mean, and. He's a he is a household name now. Okay, he's, he hasn't played uh, Springbok yet, but we all know who Sergio Peterson. Is. He has been in the squad. He has been in the squad, but, yeah. uh, but he hasn't. I mean, we all know who Sergio Peterson is. Um, we all know mo most guys who follow rugby know who Marco Yar is. They know who CJ Fellerman is. They know who Chris Kluter is. But the current squad, um, I know Dimitri Katrikilis is back there. I, um, I know. And the only reason some of the people know is because there was a, a YouTube clip that went out when he got uh, milked in that one tackle. And again, yeah. I don't know who tackled him because I, I, I don't know who the players are. Yeah, so I mean, uh, we, we really don't know. I mean, uh, there's a few names that, I'm, that, that come to mind that I know that's 
uh, JT Jackson, who, who I thought was a very promising centre, never got his chance with the Bulls. He's, for instance, gone to the to the, to the Kings. Um, you've got uh, Sabura Nkosi, who played one test. Uh, oh, sorry, Sabura uh, Sitoli, who played one test match for the box. Um, he's at the Kings. So they, they, they've actually got uh, quite decent players. But we just, I, I feel the exposure we get to those guys is not at the same level as what... Uh, SA Rugby and Supersport is actually giving to the to the Super Rugby guy, uh, squads at the moment. Yeah. So we're going to, at this point now, we're going to head into looking at the history of the Cheetahs and the Kings and where they, how, where they came from and how they got to where they are at this point. We will then head towards focusing in, and talking about some of the players that, the famous players that came out to show that this, these two 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 regions are have got a rich rugby history of producing quality players, and then we will we'll look at at competition and how we could possibly structure and, and what Rassi's possibly got planned for these teams, and how it, how they could be used to supplement uh, Super Rugby teams and set themselves up to being a Springbok feeding team. Perfect. Welcome back. Starting with the Free State Cheetahs. The Cheetahs originally played Super Rugby as a provincial side, qualifying through the 1996 Curry Cup. Uh, they ended in the semi-finals. They were in the top four. The top four teams qualified for the Super Rugby the following year. Interestingly enough, that, that gave us our first team to be relegated from Super Rugby, which was Western Province. However, the following year, the, the model changed and we had the introduction of the... We had the franchise model that came the in. The franchise model came in, that's correct. And that franchise model resulted in the Cheetahs, the Free State Cheetahs and the Golden Lions combining to form the Cats. Yes. And they played uh, as one union until that the realization of that setup wasn't working due to the tr uh, distance traveled between the Free State and the Lions players and the splitting of games between Bloemfontein and Johannesburg. After that, they, the Lions went... Uh, the, after the disbandment of, the, of that franchise, the Lions got the, the franchise, and we were left with four Super Rugby sides. In 2005, the tender went out for an, an additional uh, Super Rugby side as... Super Rugby was going to expand to the Super 14, from Super 12 to Super 14. And the Free State Cheetahs won that right uh, for that franchise. And what's interesting is they based their, their franchise model and their application for the license on their stable fan base, which meant they were able to maintain a, a team during the season. And I found this one quite uh, interesting. This point quite interesting that I found was that uh, they used a historical projection moving back of the, the history of producing Springbok players as a reason why they should be entitled to have a franchise side. Yeah, well, I mean, at that point, if you think back, you think back to 2005, uh, leading up to that, uh, back in, just before the awarding of the franchise, uh, the Free State had made something like four out of the last five Curry Cup semi-finals at that stage. Um, they were up against a, 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 a another project called the Southern Spears, 
which uh, evolved into something else. At that stage, the, the franchises there or the unions involved that they were competing against was um, well, in the 13th, 14th and 12th in the previous year's Curry Cup, which, I mean, it didn't make sense at that stage um, to even consider them. I mean, even, even though it was based on, about, on the Eastern Cape heartland of rugby back then. So, yeah, interestingly, the, the, the concept was actually based around what, they, what was called the central franchise. Yes, that's right. So, basically, it was a combination of the Free State Cheetahs, uh, the Griquas, and the Griffins that joined to make, it, to make the franchise. Leopards was originally part of the plan, but they then split off to form an allegiance with the, the Cats that became the Lions the following year. So, the, the, the franchise started as the Central Cheetahs. Games split between um, two games a year played in Kimberley, the rest in Bloom. From uh, 2012 onwards, games in uh, Kimberley were dropped for financial reasons and just moved to, um, to Bloom. And then in 2016, the, cheat, the Free State bought the Greek West out of their part and it became fully the, the Cheetahs as, as, as a Free State-based side. So, yeah, um, that, that's basically the history of that. If we look at the going back to the Cats model that they used to be part of, if you think about what they, the, the, belt, the bulk that they actually joined Super Rugby with, it, the, the, the Cats model was like a, a group project, if you had to explain it. We, we had two people, two people joining in for a group project, where one did the bulk of the work and the other one got the credit for that. And that's exactly what happened. The bulk of the squad was based out of was based from Free State players, but the credit was given to the the Lions Union be, being based at Ellis Park for the majority of the games, having one or two players involved there. But still, and the fact is the distance between it didn't make the regions possible at that stage. I also remember during that time when we, when we sat down, you, we were looking at the team sheets, like we were, we've mentioned earlier. You know, we, the bigger one of the big highlights of the week while working, is waiting for the team announcements to see who, which players have been selected. Every time that Cats team was announced, on paper, it looked like a really, really strong side. And they did make the semi-finals the one year. But in the long run, it just, it just wasn't a sustainable model. No, and um, I, I still remember the New Zealanders discussing this. Um, they used to have a program back in the early 2000s called Reunion. Yes. And what, I can't remember, I think it was Jeff Wilson or somebody that used to discuss it when the, the break was coming. At that stage, I mean, I remember New Zealand. a lot of the New Zealanders and Australians said, but South Africa, you can't afford a fifth team because we had two out of our four franchises were bottom of the log at that point. And I remember the one one of the um, arguments were that actually with the, pool, the the talent pool we have in South Africa, five franchises actually makes more sense because we've got too much logistical issues that's preventing us from succeeding. And actually, if you look at our history later on in Super Rugby, that came to pass. We actually had very good results leading up post-2006 in Super Rugby not just for the Bulls who, who ended up winning the tournament, but for the other sides as well. They all had their glory runs throughout the year, the, the years leading wow. up to that. Yeah, I'd like to apologize if you happen to hear the dogs in the background. We've we got little Snoopy here playing with two German Shepherds in the backyard. 
So I apologize for the additional music that we have tonight. Moving on to the Kings. I think that setup came in, started around 2013. Actually, or a little bit earlier, sorry. Yeah. You, you got the, the dates there. Yeah, so basically, um, what were what the setup was, basically, the the Kings came, uh, was actually a Phoenix project of a, another failed project. So, the what SA Rugby um, mandated was, back in 2005, when we had our five franchises lined up for Super 14 was that the franchise that was going to finish at the bottom of the log in 2006 was supposed to be relegated to make space for a sixth franchise called the Southern Spears. Yes. Now, the problem with the Southern Spears was that they was they, they actually played bankrupt and the whole project failed even before the end of their, their trial period. So they, they played warm-up games. They had a few warm-up games against some of the Super Rugby franchises for that year. I mean, I remember they lost something like 75-3 to the Stormers in a warm-up game, and the Stormers was one of our worst franchises at that point. They they toured Kenya, they played a few other warm-up games, but they didn't even complete that schedule. The project actually fell flat before that. Um, SA Rugby then came out and said, okay, you know what, we're sticking with our five franchises, and um, then the the almost the, the ideology of having a franchise based in the Eastern Cape, which was um, quite important for SA Rugby to develop due to the, 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 the amount of talent that had come from the region in the past. The Southern Kings franchise was then reborn in 2009, and their first game was actually against the British and Irish Lions in 2009. And uh, interesting fact, one of the, uh, the, the Bulls players from uh, two years previous prior, Jakub van der Westhuizen, actually still played for the Kings that day, and they were actually captained on that day by um, the SA7's captain at that stage, Mpo Mbuyozo. So the, the Southern Kings was born out of that, and then they made their first attempt at joining Super Rugby with uh, the expansion to 15 teams in 2011. So they were up against the Melbourne con Consortium for the 15th franchise in Super Rugby, but logistically, they lost out because it was never going to work. They were going to be based in uh, as, as part of the Australian franchise, which travel-wise was never going to work. Um, still, SA Rugby felt the need to make space for the Kings, and um, due to the poor run-off form of the Lions in 2012, it was announced that the following year, the Lions will be relegated. Becoming the second South African side to be relegated from Super Rugby. Yes, and the Kings were, were to join the following year. So the Kings, even though they've actually been around since 2009 officially, they made their debut in Super Rugby against the Western Force in uh, February of 2013. That's correct. That's where I'd, I was, uh, I'd started, was the 2013 season. Yes. What was interesting, at the end of that Super Rugby season, their debut season, the team that ended last on that log would play a home and away series against the Lions who had been relegated. Correct. The Lions won the first game and the Kings won the second game. And the aggregate score ended up being 44-42 in favour of the Lions and then resulting in them being relegated. 
and they were not unable to make it back into Super Rugby until 2016 with the expansion to Super 18 and the current conference system that we use and the introduction of the Sunwoofs. And that lasted a whole of? Two seasons. Two seasons. So yeah. at the end of the 2017 season, we had the next group of teams being relegated from uh, Super Rugby's to, to South African sides, being the Cheetahs being relegated and the Kings being relegated. However, South Africa had already negotiated a contract with the Pro 12, and the Pro 12 expanded to the Pro 14. Yes. Now, this is where I feel SA Rugby might have got this wrong. Um, in the sense where, the, if you look at what were, what the Pro 12 expansion to the Pro 14 could have meant, for me it was the fact that it gave us that option to uh, provide a pathway for us to join the Northern Hemisphere. Um, at the moment, the problem I feel is that the, the Cheetahs and the Kings, with the current form of uh, run of results, is actually doing more damage to the argument of having South African sides join the Heineken Champions Cup and have an expansion there than what they actually... Um, they Currently have with Super Rugby. Yeah, and, and in, instead of actually promoting... The South African team it feels like at the moment with the current with those results we are moving more we are regressing more on that. Yes. And um, yeah, and I, and I feel the other point is that we have have is that they're actually just becoming another a feeder side instead of being a feeder side to South African teams they're becoming more of a feeder side to the other Pro 14 teams. That's correct. Um, a little side note here that we we need to take into consideration. Kings have struggled financially. We all know the Cheeky Watson incident that's still got to come to conclusion. At the end of 2017, with the move to Pro 14, they lost 30 players. Yeah. And those players weren't on contract. Those players weren't getting paid. And a lot of those players jumped from the Kings to the Bulls and to the Sharks and to the Cheetahs. Yeah. So... By the start of the first, their first Pro 14 team season, they had only had four official practices. Yeah, and and they didn't have one practice match. Now, in the era of professional rugby, that is a serious, serious uh, stuff up. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I don't know if you remember their last season in Super Rugby. They were actually one of our better South African franchises. I mean, the, they 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 beaten the Bulls at Loftus, if I if I yep. remember correctly. Yeah. They had beaten the Sharks. Um, I mean, they they smashed the Rebels by forty points. Um, they had won games in in Australia, and I, I, I can't remember if they won in New Zealand, but I know they won. They 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 they, they, they beat the Force and the Waratahs in Australia. And uh, I mean, at the end of the season, they were actually one of our better franchises. Yet that whole squad dissipated, and I mean, I remember watching the first, their first ever Pro 14 game. It was uh, against the Scarlets in uh, Lenethley, and they were actually leading 10-0 after 10 minutes. They ended up losing 54-10 on that day. So as you say, it was a, it was a, there was potential in the squad, but they had to start from scratch after Super Rugby, and uh, it, 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 in the history of the Kings, you, you, you find this pattern of having to rebuild and reinvent themselves almost on a annual yeah, basis. An, an annual basis. Um, and to, f to finish off this section, they've 
just signed for this season. And I think the, the contract's for three years with Isuzu and a, and a black consortium sort of company that has basically privatized the company. Yes, they have. But they, I think if, if you look at the, 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 the private consortium, uh, the company is called the greatest rugby company in the world. And that, I'm serious. That's the name of the company. And uh, for me, I don't know, something just feels like there, there's still some form of professionalism lacking. I mean, even with the appointment of a of, of a coach, there's so much infighting in terms of getting a coach. And the coach, yeah, you know, it, it's Robbie Kempson is just a caretaker coach. He's, uh, a, at, at, he's supposed to be a caretaker. I mean, you have so many uh, uncertainties, uncertainties at the, at, and, the, at the game level, at the match level, and politics involved in that. Even something as simple as getting a coach is. It's problematic. I mean, they and Dion Davids. I mean, for me, I think he's he's going to do so well in a in in his role as Springbok assistant coach because the amount of SH1T that that guy had to deal with over the last couple of years, and he still got results. I mean, he and played an exciting brand of rugby. And played an exciting brand of rugby. For me, he just developed as as a coach, and he was able. He, he proved that he, he's able to develop players. One thing South Africa doesn't lack is rich breeding grounds for quality rugby players. If we look at the Eastern Cape, we've got players that came from non, I call it the non-mainstream path. Uh, these are players that didn't go to traditional rugby schools. We've got Mampimpi, M, Lizokoboko, they come to mind. Then the mainstream through the Traditional rugby schools, you've got Kulisi, Cohen, Bosch, Dianti. If we move on to the Free State, we've got players like Franz Stein that come to mind. Who, Yes, he played for the Sharks, but made his way through the Grey College factory. You've got Ruan Pinar, who's back there now. Bismarck and Yanni. Jan Safentain, funny enough, started in the Eastern Cape before moving and finishing off in the, the, the free straight structure and then moving on to the Bulls. you got Lurt de Jager. Kubus Reinach is another player that comes to mind. Dwayne Vermeulen began his rugby in Mpumalanga. Got his super rugby start with Cheetahs. So just in the modern era, there's a whole list of players that are still playing that came through these rich areas that produce numerous rugby players. Yeah, I mean, okay, we look at some of those names. Um, let's look at Billy Leroux, Makazole Mapimpi, Lokanyu M, Luat Diyakha, Dwayne Vermeulen. These are guys that started the World Cup final for, for us. Um, they all got their starts um, with either the Cheetahs or the Kings in Super Rugby. Now, two points that I found there that's actually... That, that I feel makes for interesting reading because it it, it put it, it summarizes the position that these franchises are in at the moment. Um, if we look at Veli Leroux, Makazoli Mapimpi, Lokanyo M, they they okay, they or Veli Leroux started his super rugby career with the Cheetahs, he ended at the Sharks. Mapimpi and M started their super rugby career with the Kings, ended at the Sharks. The Yager, Cheetahs, ended at the Bulls. Uh, Dwayne Vermeulen, Cheetahs, Stormers, Bulls. So these guys, 
they don't stay there for long. It's um, if you think about it, La Rue de Jager Vermeulen. Yes, they they actually got kept as Springboks while uh, while forming the okay. The Dwayne Vermeulen moved on to the Stormers and got kept there, but uh, Willy La Rue de Jager both uh, were kept as Springboks at the Cheetahs. Yet they weren't able to hold on to them in the long term to actually build a, a squad around them. It's um, it's like they, they've always had this struggle to hold on to players. Uh, I mean, and it was at the start of the professional era, it's always been like that. I mean, if you think about household names that comes out of the free state, Rassi Erasmus, um, Osturant. At some stage, Osturant played for the Bulls in 2000 in Super Rugby. Um, Rassi actually okay, was part of the Cats setup then, but he played Curry Cup for the Lions the following year. It's um, it's like they've always had the struggle to hold on to their players in in the free state and actually build a solid squad around them. And um, there's more names that come to mind. Okay, um, you got captains of Bok, um, Mayer Bosman, who ended up leaving for the Sharks. Uh, Jacques Louis Potgieter, another example of somebody who is uh, who made his name at the Cheetahs and ended up back at the Bulls and the Sharks. So they've got this line of struggling to build a squad over the season but it's it, it's it's like they've always had this notion of sitting back and saying well okay if these guys leave we'll just go get the next big thing from Grey College or, or from Shimlas. It's almost like a, as a pro rugby player coming out of the, coming out of uh, Bloemfontein it's your ticket to getting out of Bloemfontein. <laughs> almost something like without, that. Without, yeah. uh, you know the old saying is you cry when you come to Bloemfontein. You cry twice: one when you arrive, and then once when you leave. Yeah. So basically, and even it's been like that for years. If we look at other household names, um, from Andre uh, Andre Hubert is a good example. He was the first real player to in Andrew Honeyball. They they started with the Cheetahs, and they ended up going to the Sharks. Peter Miller. Peter Miller. Um, Yanni De Beer ended up in his career with the Bulls, actually, funny enough. Brendan Fenter is another example, somebody who, uh, a, a Springbok, that started his career with the Free State. Um, okay, he was there because he, was, uh, he studied at the University of Free State and then from there left to, to practice down in the uh, Cape. Andy, but he was a funny story. He actually went to, he was at school with Michelle's uncle. Oh, is it? And uh, they, the, he played rugby with Michelle's uncle. And with Ruben Kruger, they were all the same year. Group. Oh, okay. Ed Gray, yeah. So you see, there's all these examples of quality players. So the quality players are being breeded there. But for me, the biggest problem that I find now is that that's come in is that nobody has really made the step up since joining the Pro 14 from the Free State. Yeah, I think that's something we will definitely touch on just now when we look at competitions. If if a player wants to become a Springbok and he's going to pledge his allegiance to the king or the, the cheaters, they definitely want to be making semi-finals. They want to be winning away from home, and they want to be they want to be playing in the knockout phases of the Pro 14. If they want to get themselves considered for selection, that's just a, a little side note and an opinion I I have on on that. Yeah, on I mean, that view. I mean, the, this is exactly where the cheaters are going to struggle. I mean, if we look at the start they had to the season. I mean, they had a fantastic run at home, and they looked set to to at least make it in the top three. 
of, of their conference. And if they want to make the playoffs, they're going to need to win all their home games coming up. Yeah, and but that's the problem is that they're relying so much on home form, and uh, I mean, must uh, easy games that they should win overseas. I mean, zebra, you beat zebra by sixty points on your own field, and then you get clapped by fifty away from home. I mean, you negate all you. <laughs> something just doesn't make you sense. Can, you there. cancel those five points that you put in the bag. The the dragons. I mean, that that, that should be a, they they bottom of the Welsh conference. They that. They and you, you, you lead ten points at ten nil at half time in rainy conditions and you end up losing thirteen ten in the last seconds of the game. Yeah. So it just says something just doesn't add up in that they can't Connacht is another example where they led by something like seventeen points and they squandered a seventeen point lead to lose by twelve points. So away from home they negating any advantage they get at home to yeah. actually make it to the to the playoff stages. You know, at this stage, we focused a lot on the cheaters, and we sound like we're bashing them a bit, but we, we're actually pointing out that they've got a lot of quality players. I just want to turn our, our focus now to the Kings players. Yes. And off air, you, you yourself have mentioned, uh, qu- quoting John Kerwin, you quote, quote him saying, we need tribalism back in rugby. Yes, and I think with the the Asuzu deal and the uh, the consortium that's r- running the show there now, they actually have a gr- great opportunity now to create a team and an environment f- for all the young players coming through the Eastern Cape system to want to play for that team and to to want to represent represent that team. I don't know if if you want to add to to that and 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 put a bit of that tribal spin on it. Yeah, I mean, definitely. And um, I think the reason why the tribalism is lacking a bit in, um, in, in, in the Eastern Cape, it, it, it harks back to the, the success of the Curry Cup back in the days. Because um, if you look at where the, where the Stormers come from, where the Bulls came from, where the Sharks came from, they, even the Cheetahs, they came from the old Free State, Western Province, Blue Bulls, your Natal Sharks, uh, Golden Lions, they had great bases to work off. Now, if you look at where Eastern Province was at the beginning of professionalism, I mean, I'm sorry, but they, they lost the plot. Eastern Province border, southwestern districts, they, they were never in that same position to actually build a, a solid base. So that tribalism of, or, or, I won't say tribal, not just tribalism, strong tribalism, where you've actually got a, um, you've got that identity, but you've got the results behind that. So yes, Eastern Province had a strong identity back in the the seventies and eighties, but they don't have that results to to build on and actually form a, a strong foundation. Now, where I think they're getting it right with the Kings is that they don't have any of the old provincial identities attached to that. Um, I mean, Eastern Province, yeah, uh, border, southwestern districts, they've all They've actually have no part in the Kings anymore. It's a separate entity. So I know Eastern Province, they 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 stake they they sold their stake or in in the Kings or SA Rugby took control of their stakes. That's why Eastern Province itself has gone back to being the EP Elephants and not be the EP, EP yeah. Kings. So they've lost that um, or they've broken away from that. So they've got the opportunity to build their own identity and build their own. Um, as you say, build their own tribal, real tribal opportunity. Identity. They've got a, 
the, 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 the cheaters they've had it because they had that start in professional rugby and they've had their franchise for a good number of years. And the Kings financially, and they've had a cup, they've had, they've had, they've received a bit of a raw deal. But they, they've also been the masters of their own demise. But we really want to look at the positives here. And the positive is the, they're at the, the beginning of a three to five year journey. So maybe the results this year aren't that important. Yeah. But at some stage, the results are going to be important. If you're going to want to get those youngsters not seeing you as a stepping stone to get to Durban. Yes. Or to see you as the stepping stone to move from Bloemfontein to Edinburgh. So these two teams have got a very important role in playing in in one. I think I think what I'm trying to say is we should Saru, Rassi and the boys should be working to create the Cheetahs and the Kings as feeder teams to other SA rugby sides. But in the same breath, it shouldn't be wholesale changes or players going off contract at the same time. For example, there's a very talented flower that's playing for the Cheetahs. Uh, Bernard Nantaparenzo. No, no, no. Just figuratively speaking. Okay. And this talented flower at this moment in time, could be number four in the pecking order to become a springbok. However, due to the speed of the game and the team that he's in, it would be more beneficial for him to go and play for, for the Bulls. Now, Rassi, as the director of rugby, needs to step in there and get the lad from playing Pro 14 into Super Rugby. In the same breath, at the end of the season, they should be putting mechanisms in so that they're not losing 10 to 15 players a season. That the team has a chance to build over a three to four year cycle. And that way they will become more competitive. So hopefully the, the new um, contracting system that Russ is bringing in place will help curb the loss of those players by the reduction of the amount of pro players that we have in South Africa. Players being able to be paid more so that there isn't a need to go and play overseas. Yeah, and I think they, with the fact that the Kings have been uh, privatized, they are in a prime position to take advantage of that system. Um, but for me, I think it's, it once if they haven't sorted out their administrative issues, it might just be null and void. Because, yes, uh, and this is the one thing I must give the Kings credit for, is that despite all of these administrative problems, they can seem to, um, I can say, reinvent themselves every year. With a new squad and actually... It's just, the problem is it's not long-term sustainable. It's not long-term sustainable. You're not going to get the results. But, yeah, they, but, but they've still been able to get results over the past few seasons. They've beaten some of your top quality sides, uh, Edinburgh, Glasgow, Ospreys. Um, so they've, they've been able to get the results over the last few years. They win the odd game. Okay, yes, they finish last every year um, in the past uh, two years that they've been involved and it's going to be the same this year but still they they manage with a squad of players that you don't wouldn't expect to compete against the professional european sides they still manage to eke out the odd win year or there with a bunch of guys that are still building up so in that i i think we must give them credit there is that they are 
um, reinventing themselves every year despite of those administrative issues at the, in the Eastern Cape at the moment. I'd like to address the, the concept of competition for these players and these teams now. After debating and discussing and hypothesizing with a couple of mates, I would love to see, I want to almost call it the professionalization of the Curry Cup. And what I mean by that is, is taking our current franchises, expanding it by two teams to include the Griquas and the, the Pumas, and having them permanently in the Curry Cup. No relegation with the, with the lower teams, because ultimately we're giving teams like the Leopards and the Griffins a sniff at the Curry Cup, but when it comes to the playoff or qualification games, they always tend to, to drop out. So I would. So the first thing I do is I'd, I'd grant uh, the Griquas and the the Pumas uh, franchise status, and I'd keep the Curry Cup within the that. How many teams is it now? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. An eight team, eight an eight team Curry Cup. Can they can be played over? Uh, what's that? Fourteen rounds. Seven. Yeah. So you play fourteen rounds, home and away. And the top two teams go into a final. No need for a semi-final. If you want to add that, you can uh, you can add your semi-finals in. But then I think the rugby season just gets a little bit too long. I think if you just uh, put a lot of emphasis on winning, um, and your top two teams then get the bite at the cherry, um, it'll it'll add to the the competitiveness because uh, yeah. And then, but I, I find the challenge with that is. When you've got when you've got the cheetahs playing to the northern hemisphere season and the kings playing to the northern hemisphere season and the other franchises playing to the southern hemisphere season, we definitely have to look at amalgamating into a global season, which which is definitely I, I think which is South Africa is definitely looking towards. Well, I think uh, South Africa is uh, for me actually making a bigger effort at uh, getting a global season started than most of the other countries at the moment. And, uh, you know, it's, because at the moment it's creating a, a unique problem. It's something that I noticed uh, a, about a year ago, where um, the one afternoon we had the, 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 the Cheetahs and the, the Greek West playing a Curry Cup game at uh, 5 o'clock, and then 7.30, we had the the cheetahs playing the the Glasgow Warriors. Yes. So now you have a situation where you have the Free State playing two teams on the same day, and that hasn't happened since the Sharks uh, had their own academy going and stopped poaching cheetah players. Yeah. So, and what's quite interesting now, if you just have to think uh, think about it, is there even a global season at the moment? Because we've got Super Rugby and Pro Fourteen running at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I think the big, uh, the big difference is the starting dates of that. Yeah. And um, at the moment, I mean, I've been wrapping my round, mind around it, how a global season can be possible. And uh, for me, uh, the only way a global season can really be possible is the box joining the Six Nations for some reason. It, it just would align that a bit more. Yeah, because you, let's just put that in perspective quick. Because the... The Northern Hemisphere season starts approximately in November, give or take a few weeks. Then they have a short little break over Christmas, 
Um, you've got uh, the short break for the November autumn series, or our, we, uh, in the Southern Hemisphere, we call it the outgoing tours. And then in February and March, you've got a break for Six Nations. And that's kind of the, the challenge that we, we need to get, to get around. If we want to set up uh, this type of uh, global season. Yeah, and also I think that this is where I, I feel um, the cheetahs may have been hard done this year, is if we talk about alignment. Because um, the, the Curry Cup was played at an earlier date and moved earlier to actually accommodate the cheetahs to play full-strength teams in both the Curry Cup and, um, and in the Pro 14. Okay, yes, results-wise, they went from um, ending last in the Curry Cup in 2018, where they didn't win a single game, to actually winning the Curry Cup in, in 2019. But what the knock-on effect is, you can already start to see the players, um, the, the, the drop in performances. If you actually see from the start of Pro 14, where they had that Curry Cup momentum coming in, I mean, they, they, they put huge scores on Munster, Ulster and Zebra at home and then started tapering off where these guys are only getting into their season and they've, they've had a lot less uh, games being played over the last, um, the last eight or effectively, ten months. The, the, effectively, the Kings are running a 365-day season. Well, and that, all the Kings and the Cheetahs. The Cheetahs, yeah. So they're running, as you said, it's, it's, it's basically running a 365-day season because now... We're going to have a situation where Pro 14 ends at a later date. They move straight back into Curry Cup to accommodate them to play a full-strength team. And then it's going to be the same cycle over and over again. So there is, it's already a problem with alignment, alignment of the competitions. And um, I, I think I've mentioned before where I felt that the, the Cheetahs and the Kings could have been springboards to actually get us aligned to Europe. But um, I feel like SA Rugby thought this was a good idea. And um, then it, they just ran out of steam, and now it's like an afterthought. It's like, okay, it's like that guy that you you actually don't want him to be part of the WhatsApp group, and now you have to find a way to remove him. That's what happened with Super Rugby, and now we have to, now we've got a problem where we actually don't really know what to do with them. Like, how do we still find it? Yeah, it, it's like employing your your um, it's like employing that one relative that's actually useless in your own business. But you have to still find a way, a place for him, even though he's dead weight. Yeah, I, I think I'd, I'd, li I'd like to look at it from a different point of view. I'd like to look at it more from a, I want to say almost a positive point of view. So if we look at the concept that I mentioned now about the eight-team Curry Cup, you've got four franchises. I know the Pro 14 people are looking to expand, but they want premier teams to come in to strengthen that competition. So with the Curry Cup and the the model that I suggested, with those eight teams, we can then decide the top four teams of the, the Curry Cup season will play in the Premier competition, in the uh, Premier club competition, which is Super Rugby. I know some people will say it's the Premiership and some will say it's Pro 14. But uh, in this case, if we have to look at the teams in the... The, the production of quality players and who's feeding which team, the the bulk of the great uh, good good teams comes from the southern hemisphere in the in the in Super Rugby, so you, you run a uh, 
you successfully run a good Curry Cup campaign. Your top four teams gain promotion to to Super Rugby. Your next four teams gain promotion to the Pro 14 or even Pro 18 because they, they're looking at expanding. There was talks a few years ago of them wanting to expand it to maybe even a Pro 20 team. But I think that then it just becomes too big. However, it gives all our top pro players in the eight franchises a chance to play competitive club rugby against international players. I think that way, then that way, Rassi has an opportunity to look at eight eight teams week in and week out, where you've got quality players who are playing against quality teams in quality competitions. And if you want to make sure that you you're up up for Springbok selection, you will make sure that your team is successful. You're making it into to the playoffs. You're winning playoffs. You're winning man of the matches. And that way, it doesn't matter if you're playing for the Kings or you're playing for the Bulls or the Stormers. You're playing in a competitive team against competitive competition. And then I think from there. It will create a, a platform for all our teams to be relatively, uh, extremely strong, and it puts massive emphasis on the quality coming back into the Curry Cup instead of the Curry Cup being a stepping stone for your under twenty, under twenty one, and under twenty three players trying to make a name for themselves. Yeah, well, even there's another way to, to spin this, um, or even to look at it that I thought of is um, even if SA Rugby decides to align ourselves north. And align us to the um, with the with the European club competitions like the Heineken Champions Cup and the, the Challenge Cup. Be below that, a, a a strong Curry Cup will actually need to be a necessity and not a luxury, in terms of that. They'll they'll they'll, they'll actually um, how can how can we say they'll more, the Europeans will demand a strong Curry Cup from us in order to to feed into th- those type of leagues. So. Either way, SA Rugby is uh, wants to go. It harks back that they, they they shouldn't neglect the Curry Cup. The Curry Cup is supposed to be a, a strength of the strength competition and not not be not watered down to a single round. Um, it's out for promising under twenties and stars returning from overseas as it currently is. Richard, as we head to the conclusion of this podcast, are there any concepts and ideas of the contents that we discussed tonight that has popped out to you? Well, for me, the big thing that I've picked up is that the, the, the math doesn't lie. The the talent, the not just the talent, the amount of talent and the quality that has come out of the Free State and Eastern Cape regions cannot be discarded. We need those conveyor belts. Uh, but I feel at the moment, with the current exposure that they're getting and um, the current pathways, that that conveyor belt is not running at full steam. It's it, it's it's just recovering from load shedding. So we really need to look from an SA rugby point of view on how do we actually incorporate the 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 the, the setup uh, better for the the kings and the cheetahs to make sure that that talent being produced does doesn't get lost in the system and that that talent actually is has a high level to compete at. Um, I mean, for me, one of the things that we haven't even touched on yet is if I look at the, that those those amount of players that are coming through the system now, in the last few years, none of them have really made this the step up from the Pro 14 to the the Super Rugby. It's basically Ox and Chi and Hinko Fenter 
but they have both had Super Rugby experience before being kicked out of Super Rugby. So none of the guys have really made a step up, and that's where I feel like is what what are we going to do with guys like Rob Smukwani and Joseph Dweber that are talented players, but it feels like they they in a in a more of a pro fourteen wilderness. They being they're not being looked at in terms of by, uh, by lo- but they're not being looked at at Springbok colours by local teams. They're and being local they're being they're, going, they're slowly being uh, taken up by foreign-based teams. Well, yes. And I mean, good examples of players that um, were already part of the setup that's already moved. Um, Uzair Kasim, he's gone from the Cheetahs to the Scarlets. Francho Finter, he's moved on from the Cheetahs. There's uh, a lot of examples. I mean, okay, you've got guys returning like Ruan Pinar and uh, Franz Stein. But all it is, they, they just moving a level down in a European setup because of the, the structure of the Cheetahs and it's more of a, it's more of a homecoming for them also as well. Yeah. So, yeah, I feel that SA Rugby, they, they, they're, missing a, uh, they're missing something here because this very strong conveyor belt, it's not functioning at full, uh, at full capacity at the moment. I, I have to agree with you and I, th- I think... From what we've discussed tonight, and I think I might have even stumbled upon, for me, at the end of the day, I would love to see the Kings and the Cheetahs in a setup that they producing quality players that remain at the region or remain in South Africa. Yes, I think it's a bit of an idealistic uh, point of view, but I would love to be able to see these teams improve on their quality and we've, we've seen a strong Cheetahs uh, franchise team can beat a Curry Cup side, a Blue Bull side and can beat a Sharks Curry Cup side but when if it comes to the Super Rugby side uh, I doubt they will have the same firepower so I really think that I would in the future I, w- I would hope that we achieve real quality uh, two quality teams in the Kings and the Cheetahs that can stand their ground in Europe um Make the playoffs, and if the, and if they had to play a super a South African Super Rugby side, they they'd give them a real go for their money and and win the game. And I think that the day we achieve that, I think we've harnessed those those two regions to being powerhouse rugby regions in South Africa. I agree with you there. Um, I feel at the moment, as I said, for me, it, it still looks back that. SA Rugby needed a home for these guys after being booted out of Super Rugby. They they found that they found a spot and they they stuck them in there, but it almost feels like they they're being thought of as an afterthought. And um, for me, I would like to see actually not this being an after Europe not being an afterthought, but actually being embraced. And um, you know, if we if we can conquer two continents. Um, we'll have all the, the cards in our deck and so the SA Rugby can decide the best commercial deals possible for them in the future, um, both at a franchise and at a test level, to actually ensure that we can, we've, we've got the, the funds available to keep our best players on local shores. Richard, thank you very much. Thanks for your time. To our listeners, thank you for sticking it out with us uh, so far. Please uh, like, like our content on social media and give us our support. Please give us feedback. We appreciate the support that we've already had. And we'll be back soon with another topic 
for us to deconstruct another rugby topic, which will be deconstructing. Yes, thanks, Andre. And uh, I think as a last point, just want to say congratulations to my sister to being admitted as an attorney at the High Court today. Ah, uh, awesome! Congratulations. Thank you. This episode was researched and hosted by Andre and Richard. Rugby Deconstructed, hosted on Anchor. Available on Google Podcast, Apple and Spotify. Music supplied by Anchor. Cover art by Andre. Produced by My Rugby Posts. This is a self-funded pod for the love of the game.